This is Mary Ann Window. And this is Mary Lou Lloyd. And welcome to How the Hell Did That Happen? How the Hell Did That Happen? I know, episode nine. And we're going to pick up where we left off of episode eight, which was you telling us the story of how you met Kurt Cobain and the first time you saw Nirvana and all the things that happened after that. And we left off when you left the band in Detroit because you had to go back to work. But a couple of things happened on the way to Detroit, didn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, a couple little, couple little things, <laughs> a, couple, <laughs> a couple of things that we left. Couple out. episodes, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was interesting because thinking back to that time, it's like it doesn't seem like any time has passed to me from the nineties. It's like it was like five years ago in my head, but it's actually mm. coming up to what twenty five years now. It's a long time, yeah. isn't it? It is. It's crazy. I know. So we've had quite a few um, people, new followers come to join us. So welcome. If you're just joining us now, um, we're going to pick up the story where we left off last time. And I'm going to ask you, Mary Lou, we just had that little um, interlude, but we're back. So what happened on the way what happened in Colombo? What I know, I've got to cut that out. What happened in Columbus, Ohio? I was thinking of Peter Falk. I was thinking of Peter Falk with the cigar. I'm cutting that out. Um, okay. No, no, no. You can't cut that out. That's perfect. Uh, okay. What happened in Colombo? Yeah, Colombo. Well, so many things happened in Colombo, but I'm talking about the show Colombo. You know, with the cigar. Yeah. But never mind. No, Columbus. With the cockatoo. Oh, yeah. yeah. The cockatoo. Yeah. yeah. A parrot, something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back okay. to the story, so- <laughs> serious business. Focus now. Okay. Yeah. A few, a few little stories worthy of remark, remarking about. <laughs> um, I don't know if it was Columbus or Detroit, but. Uh, so I was tagging along with the band. I had a job in Boston, as I said, um, working at the best record store in the world, Mystery Train Records, and I loved my job. And uh, I couldn't, I couldn't continue on with the band, otherwise I would have lost a job. And how is a dude in a band going to support me? And I, I just felt like, okay, this it's time to get back. So, um, but on one particular morning, um. I remember that uh, Kurt and I, and I think Monty, who was their uh, sound guy, we went out to the van um, to get some stuff or to get ready to go or whatever. And when we got outside, we looked at the U-Haul. And at that time, there was no bus. It was very um, early on, and there wasn't a lot of money, whatever. So they had a van in a U-Haul trailer with all the stuff in it. So we went outside and we looked at the U-Haul and I looked at Kurt like, this doesn't look right. <laughs> and and he looked at me like, what the fuck? And Monty like, what the fuck? And what had happened was the va- the trailer had been open all night with all the gear in it. Uh, it had to have been open all night because we were the first people out there. 
um, and there was no one around. It's not like we saw Dave and Chris or anybody else coming in and out of the hotel loading stuff and they never would have left it open like that anyway oh my Um, god so (laughs) so yeah so it was like total ass pucker time you know shit your pants time so the three of us kind of crept over expecting the worst um and nothing everything was in there it was incredible um Right. So can you imagine? But I'm just <laughs> stunned at that story because isn't it just every band's worst nightmare? And you just think, oh, my God. And then you just think, who did that? Who was it? Was it me? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I hope it wasn't me because if it was me, I'm going to be really upset with myself. But what All a right. what a get out of jail to have nothing stolen. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was in, like I said, it was either – Columbus, Ohio, or, <laughs> right? or or Detroit, which are you know like to uh, total armpits, yeah, armpit neighborhoods, right? Like uh. you know, the days in or whatever it was. So uh, the band got very lucky. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! And then uh, and then I was telling you also um, on that on I don't know what show it was, but. I remember Kurt was, it was pretty down. Um, again, a lack of money, lack of, um, they were working really hard, right? So they're, they're this song that was climbing the charts really quickly, yet they were still uh, slugging their own shit, um, playing in relative, because the tour had been booked, right? Mm. So the shows were totally sold out, but they were still you know ratty rock clubs yeah and uh yeah so one particular night kurt was miserable and sitting on a pool table after the gig and um just like miserable (laughs) and i was Mm. like dude what's up and and he said i'm just tired because there was problem with, with the equipment problems with the people that work there um a lot of jocks were starting to show up, mm. um, and and he's and he just said, you know, like I, I hate I hate the shit. I I hate my my stomach hurts, my back hurts. I'm carrying my own shit in, and um, just grumpy about everything, right? And mm. I just remember <clears throat> looking at him and smiling and like thinking, wow, he he really doesn't quite get this you know and I, I said to him I said listen someday you you might miss this um you might long for the days that you can carry your own shit and be anonymous even and he just looked at me like what the fuck do you know um and then and then he said to me but at least I got the Tom Waits box set out of it all and he showed me somebody had given him uh, the Tom Waits box set, so he was really happy about that. But uh, again, it kind of puts into perspective, like I talked the last time about how uh, this band were doing really well, right? But they were absolutely broke. And also, um, how I spoke to you, uh, we were talking a little while ago about being on tour 
um, and being on tour in the 90s and how you can be completely out of touch with what's going on in mm. the world. It's like being in a bubble back then, especially because there was no no cell phones, no internet, no, uh, you know, you get the radio and you've got your Walkman and like that and phone booths when you get to them in the hotel or along the way. Uh, but there but as far as being connected, you were absolutely disconnected. Yeah. So, right. So uh, the band, if they, if they were hearing themselves on the radio, then they might have gotten a sense. And then getting to the gigs and seeing the different types of people that were starting to show up at the gigs mm-hmm. uh, is another indication. But for the most part, you're traveling around in this bubble, uh, not knowing what's going on. Uh, in the rest of the world until you maybe get to your hotel and watch the 10 minutes of the news that you're able to watch before you got to go to the gig. You know, you're constantly moving and not, and it's just a weird thing, right? Mm. And so there was a lot of that going on uh, during the early part of Nirvana's um, growth, really. Especially if you're driving and We've all done that, you know, those big, long drives. Big, long drives. And you get yep. tired and then you just don't feel like doing anything and then you've got to decide, oh, who wants to get dinner and all of that. Yeah. And it's that whole – you are. You never really do know what's going on because you can't see people really and you can't um, communicate. As you said, it wasn't like now where we've got the internet and you can – you can have all that connectivity while you're on the road, but back then, yeah, no way. Yeah, you might have brought a book or yeah, um, listened to the radio a little bit, um, but or listened to um, the stereo kind of thing and talked and maybe mm. played games or something. But it's it's really like bizarre how you're in this. You'd be going to fucking Mars in a space capsule and then <laughs> stop getting out every once in a while because um, you're just so disconnected from the rest of the world so it's weird um, it was weird for them um, becoming uh, so well known so quickly um, you know and, and <laughs> just being out there on the road yeah I know and you mentioned Monty Monty Wilkes he yeah he's not with us anymore is he he died a no couple years he ago. he died a couple of years ago he was a really really great dude um, I liked him a lot he was he was very nice very nice to me and he was an, an excellent excellent uh, sound engineer and he stayed with them for a while didn't he I think so um, at least that first at least the initial part of the Nevermind tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, um, you know, again, it's these people that are integral in the story or part of the band and stuff like that that people don't necessarily know about. But as you know, if you're touring and you're, especially if you're a three-piece and your sound is so important because, and that sound engineer becomes another member of the band, don't they? Oh, totally. Yeah, um, I remember about a year or two ago, um, I had told a story about how Kurt would raid Monty's hair products. <laughs> Monty, he had really long, really beautiful hair, and I guess he took good care of it. Um, and Kurt 
uh, I, he would douse himself in this, um, in this, it was called a Veda confixer. <laughs> and he, ca- he called it Monty juice. Um, and he would steal it and just smother himself in the shit. Oh my and it, God. it smelled really, really good. So this, this, uh, this magazine they said Kurt didn't actually smell like teen spirit or whatever and then they went on to say talk about uh, what I said about the confixer but it's crazy you know like I smell that stuff even now and I'm like oh my god that's exactly the smell that Kurt Cobain smelled like it was just like he <laughs> he would douse himself with it. Oh my god, that was um, top shelf too. That Aveda too, really but, top shelf. Yeah. yeah, no wonder he stole it. He didn't want to yeah, right. shell out. Well, well, weren't you saying they were on a really low per diem at that point in time as well? Yeah, it, yeah, it was like I think it might have been fifteen dollars a day, maybe twenty dollars a day, um, and they it they had credit cards and. I think it said Nirvana mm. on the credit cards. Um, so, you know, the the relative uh, difference, my God. Um, they were so poor. And then I also remember um, being on the phone with Kurt, and Kurt was really in a bad mood. And uh, I said, you know, what's what's happening? And he said, well, this is this is." British band and they're a bunch of old guys <laughs> and they they um, are they're suing us uh, for the because they're called Nirvana and I said oh geez how much how much do they want and he's like fifty thousand dollars <laughs> and and I thought oh wow shit that's a lot of money and now I think about that band and I've, I've heard a little bit about them since because being uh, a little bit more involved with old, you know, the YouTube. You can find stuff yeah. and uh, the Bevis Frond and old psych records and things like that. And Nirvana pop up every now and again. But I think of that band and I think, man, if they had if they had held out longer, they could have probably asked for a million. But anyway, Kurt was not happy about that. And fifty thousand dollars to them back then was was everything, you know. Mm, not to David Geffen, he wouldn't have minded. Not, well, of course not. But I I don't. Obviously, the band uh, they didn't see it coming, you know. No way. Imagine that though. You'd think it yeah. was. Imagine being in that other Nirvana band now, thinking, "Oh God, <laughs> why did we settle on fifty? But fifty's a lot of money back then. It's it's a lot of money. Well, no, it's a lot of money. But I would imagine that even uh, Nirvana number one probably thought, "Well, we better we better get in there before this band fizzles out." You know, yeah. kind of thing like. Exactly. Hit, hit and run. Well, who could tell? This is the whole thing. Well, no one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so yeah. after that, um, you went back to Mystery Train. Does that store still exist, by the way? But, uh, uh, I, I, yeah, there's one in Gloucester anyway. Mm. But, but getting back to oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Kurt on the pool table, miserable. Um, I just remember, like, right, I said... You know, someday you're gonna right. Someday you you might miss this, and be careful with what you wish for, because, uh, yeah. So, I think about that, and how kind of true it came to be, really. 
so then you went back home and they went to went sh- back home. Yeah, and they went to Chicago. <laughs> right. So I left Detroit that morning and Kurt said, you know, you you really I really want you to stay and I said I really have to go. Um so I left and that night they drove to Chicago. They had a gig. Um and <laughs> so that night, uh, Courtney Love, um, who I think had met Kurt um, at either the Reading Festival um, several months back or at the Satyricon or maybe both. So she had met him before and uh, she was also whole were on Geffen. Um, so she was in L.A. and somehow she got up the money to go to Chicago. Um, I'm pretty sure I know what she was going to Chicago for. Mm. Uh, but she had been uh, at one time going up with Billy Corgan. Um, so she knew him and he, I believe he was living there. And so she got to Chicago probably in the afternoon. She went to Billy's place and um, or wherever. I I probably don't have the story right, but from what I understand, she caught up with Billy, and Billy said, I know why you're here. Get your shit and get the fuck out, or something to that effect. So she got the rest of her clothes or stuff, and then uh, the suitcase, and then went that night to see Nirvana. Um, and, (laughs) Mm. And... Yeah, so she hung out with Kurt and maybe for a few days and then the then went back to LA, I guess, and then the band um continued on to uh the rest of the shows um including the last show I think might have been in Seattle before they took off for Europe um which was shortly thereafter. Um, so (laughs) I, uh, had been speaking to Kurt every other day on the phone and, um, I thought, oh, you know, I'll surprise him. He had said, you should come to, you should come to England. You should come to Europe. And he knew that I used to live there and I thought it would be really fun to go. Um, so I I went, right? So it was around early November, November 4th, 3rd or 4th or something, and I uh, caught up with, with him there, and he was really happy to see me, and we hung out. And um, So the first show was in Bristol, um, which is a little bit west, west of England. Um, and then... I don't remember if there was a show in between and then London Mm -hmm. at the Astoria. So everything was cool. Um, It was awesome to be there, awesome to see him again. Um, And then I remember um, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning um, after the Astoria show in London. We were sleeping and the phone rang like three three in the morning and he got on the phone he was on the phone for a long time and I just went back to sleep and in the morning um we all went down to breakfast and I remember Kurt saying to Dave hey Courtney called 
And I didn't know who Courtney was. And Dave said, oh, cool, whatever. Mm. And um, we finished breakfast and we went outside. And Kurt said to me, uh, how are you going to get to Wolverhampton? And I said, and I, I was like, oh, shit, what's that mean? You know, so I said, oh, I'm not going. I've got things in London that I have to do, which was bullshit and what I wanted to say was what the fuck do you mean I'm going with you you know and so I was like that that's weird saying to myself and I didn't know what to do and so he gave me um he went back in and he came out with an itinerary which was really thick right it was the entire tour and all the phone numbers and the promoters uh the gig the venues everything so he gave me the book and uh he said this is how to get in touch with me and I just looked at him like what does this mean you know and but I didn't say that and I said okay and I said I'll call you and he looked at me and he said okay and then I left right I was like okay bye and I gave him a kiss and said bye and (laughs) It was really weird, right? Oh so, my god! And but yeah. but up to that point, like since you got to London and then you went to Bristol and you met up with them and all of that, you were traveling with them like normal, right? I had rented a car, um, and so he rode with me once, and then uh, that was the only time it would have had to ride yeah, with me yeah, because yeah. that's as far as we got, right? Yeah. So yeah, so. Um, Right, so everything was pretty normal. Yeah. Um, it was normal. And then after that phone call, it was weird, right? So I don't know what, what the hell was going on. But um, so later that afternoon, I, I was at a friend's house because I had lived in England. I knew people. So mm. I was at a friend's house because I knew that Nirvana were going to be on this TV show called The Word. Um, it was sort of like a top of the pops kind of a show and I was like oh, I really want to watch this maybe this will give me a clue oh whatever god. oh my god so I'm watching it and on Nirvana come on and Kurt says before the band starts playing he said I want I just want everyone in this room to know that Courtney Love the lead singer from the pop group Hole is the best fuck in the world and I was just like oh what <laughs> like what <laughs> you know like first of all I was like who the fuck is Courtney Love and I was really confused because um, I had a few seven inches I think or some recording of this uh, person that called herself the Courtney Love and it was really pretty really sweet music and there was this one song that I particularly liked called Motorcycle Boy and I thought that's the person that <laughs> is the best fuck in the what right so I was really confused I was more confused than I was heartbroken because I didn't know what this all meant well, right it was a lot to process in the space a of a few hours and absolutely right cuz I mean I had been with him the night before. Yeah. Right? Uh, been with him. Ah, so this. So anyway, I had no real reason to be there. So I left like a day or two later. I came back to Boston and 
all these people, old friends of mine, were like, what's up with you and Courtney Love? And I'm like, who the fuck is Courtney Love, right? <laughs> I had no idea. And they were like, wow, she was dissing you from stage at the Rat the other night. And I'm like, what? And so it turns out that my friend Dave, the guy who initially told me that I should go see Nirvana at the Rat, right, mm. was that night before Kurt got the phone call, was going to interview Courtney Love, who was playing at the Rat, right? And she was in a band called Hole. I knew about the band Hole, but I never knew the name of the singer. Right. right? I knew the, the Reach Hard Girl song and a couple other songs, and I thought, well, they're kind of like babes in Toyland, and yeah. I'm not sure about this, right? <laughs> so anyway, I was like, wait. I'm like, oh, so she's the singer for this band Hole. Okay, so what happened was... Dave, my friend, went to interview Hull before the show at the Rat, uh, the same night that Nirvana played in London, where I was with him. And so when Dave said to Courtney, so you, are you going to be doing any shows? What are you doing? And she said, yeah, we're going to be doing a bunch of shows with Nirvana, blah, blah. And Dave said, oh, my friend, Kurt's girlfriend, Mary Lou, just went off to England to be with him. And uh, Dave, you know, whatever. So uh -oh. Courtney <laughs> was like, Kurt's girlfriend, what? Right. So all of a sudden the tables turn and instead of Dave interviewing Courtney, Courtney is interviewing Dave. So she's buying him beer after beer, pumping him for all the information about me that she can get. Right. So so it's the, at the time it was probably about maybe seven o'clock at night um, before Hole went on when Dave interviewed them. Keep in mind there's a five hour difference mm -hmm. between Boston and London. Um, and so I figure she got all the inf information about me from Dave she could and then spun some kind of a something and called uh, either before or after she went on stage. And I know for a fact that um, she knew about me at that point, and she must have said something to him that was pretty big mm -hmm. because everything was fine, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. Um, I have an idea of what she might have said to him, and I... Uh, I think that she told him something big, and it was a lie. Well, it doesn't take Einstein to work out what she might have said, because he doesn't strike me as someone who would have been that sneaky of shuffling women around like that, and like two significant people. So whatever was said obviously created a shift that you had no control over. That's right. Um I <laughs> so it it was it was big. It was mm. big uh whatever she told him. Um and I've tried to connect the dots um the best that I can. I didn't back then. I just thought, oh, wow, this is fucking crazy. Mm. Um, but after a while, I 
connected some dots because there was a um, a weird site online. It was called um, oh god, well, do you remember what I told you? It was it was called exposing? Courtney oh, that's Love. right, that's right. I remember that yeah. now. Yeah, I, I I don't know who these people were, but they they knew a lot about about Courtney Love, right? Um, and they would fact check mostly fact check things that were that that she said like quoted and they would find the source of where she said whatever and there was one um passage that i saw where courtney said that francis was conceived in minneapolis and Hmm. (laughs) i've done a little bit of math and it doesn't take 10 months to um <laughs> not in human right. not in human not in human gestation well maybe with Courtney it might have oh been. well I don't come out yeah I don't come out. oh shit but no what I'm do you, do you see where I'm I going get the with gist this? I get the gist you don't have to right. be a mathematician to work it out that you know right and this is something that she said in the in something mm. uh but what makes more sense is that no, you didn't conceive on October, I don't know, twenty fourth. You most likely conceived right around Thanksgiving, um, in Europe mm. on November twenty sixth, mm. right? And so, I'm just saying that this woman, <sighs> my life has turned out good, right? I wouldn't change it of course but no. the wrath and the bullshit back then right from the very beginning that she put me through is just incredible it's really crazy too because you know this happened you know through manipulation whatever it happened the way it happened and you were sort of kicked out of the picture But why did she continue to see you as a threat? That's what I don't understand. (laughs) Why do you think? Well, I mean, well, you know, uh, that's kind of easy to understand at this point, too. Uh, It it was, to my mind, it really wasn't the most natural of breakups or whatever. You know, and I've been called an opportunist by different people. And I think about Courtney Love sometimes and I think I have never seen a bigger opportunist than her Mm. right (laughs) I mean she took that shit all the way um and right so I've told you um about how okay you know time goes by and I'm out of the picture obviously um She's got a a beautiful baby with him. Um, Her band's doing well. His band's doing well. I mean, they should have been having the time of their lives, right? Living, you know, finally getting, um, finally recouping um, from the sales. Uh, Their advances were probably getting paid off. Um, And they just should have been having the best time. And instead, what they were doing Courtney and and Kurt tagging along probably not to 
just to shut her the fuck up, whatever, <laughs> um, is they were going on these like telephone tirades mm. and leaving people these crazy um, answering machi- machine messages and just just raising hell um, and being miserable and bothering people and calling people and threatening people and, um, you know, from myself to people like, um, I know that Lynn Hirsch got it bad as did Britt Collins and Victoria mm. Clark right mm. uh, just ter- terrible terrible shit so you got you got some phone calls at your house or at your parents house didn't you my parents yeah so this is like I don't know like two a year or two later yeah after everything right Kurt was still alive mm. um and oh what happened was i wrote a couple songs right i wrote a couple songs about this shit mm. because it was real it was crazy so i came back from england like i said not knowing what the hell found out about courtney love the only way that i could find out anything was stupid mtv or buying enemy and melody maker and reading about what what's going on yeah. um not knowing um <laughs> So at this point, the band were huge, right? Nirvana were number one. Every time I turned on the radio or even walking down the street, there'd be somebody with a Nirvana T-shirt on. And and it was like, oh, God, like I couldn't just naturally forget about this person because there was no way to forget about this person. Exactly. Um, It's not like, as you said, it's not like a normal breakup. And regardless of... um, anything else i mean it was not like a normal breakup because of the way it happened but then you're forced with being confronted by this person's image and voice Mm -hmm. and everything Mm -hmm. at at any given moment that you turn on any media absolutely and there's no resolution because you can't you have no right and then and then when i did start being okay with everything like oh i'm okay with everything right um then I wrote the songs, like, okay, I'm going to write these songs. And I did, and a paper reviewed it and obviously said, oh, the song is about Kurt Cobain. Wait, wait, so that that was um, some Jingle Jangle Morning? That was some Jingle Jangle Morning, and it was the Boston Phoenix that did a review on it. And that was the Um, first one that you did on Kill Rock Stars, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so. And what was the other one? Uh. Camden Town Rain, and that was also on Kill Rock Stars. So the Boston Phoenix did a review of it, and mm-hmm. somehow, well, of course, Corny <clears throat> found out about it, and she went mental. Like, mm. like I don't have a right, right? And um, and so it was during this time that they wrote this fax, uh, this note that came into the Boston Phoenix as a fax, and. It basically said um, that uh, he, Kirk Cobain, denying um, that he knew me, saying that he met me, he was very drunk, and that I need to see a therapist and stop stalking him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm not uh, a, a genius, but I have been told, and as has Rosemary Carroll herself said, that Courtney Love is 
she's she's very good at um manipulating handwriting right so i don't know if he wrote it she wrote it he might have written it just to shut her the fuck up um and i also know that it was it, it was written during a time and probably the same day that i don't know if you've ever seen um this note that says i kurt cobain take courtney love um in shittiness or in i i don't know it was like this marriage proposal or something yeah i remember and it was, saying that right and it was courtney that wrote that and it came from it's interesting because that came from i think the hotel was called the phoenix mm. and it was and uh so this fax was sent from the phoenix to the phoenix <laughs> um right so that's out there this stupid fucking um facts that uh people look at and they're like oh yeah that, that mary the lord she's crazy she seems to think that she had a relationship with him and and she needs to see a therapist and yeah it's true that i need to see a therapist uh, who doesn't but that's but right but that's not the re the reason why is probably because of courtney love wreaking havoc on my life so like i said she would call my parents answering machine um and she would threaten she would say things like yeah mary lou she's like me and me and kurt are gonna we're gonna chop come over there and chop your head off and stick it up your ass and then we're gonna put you in the oven and then we're gonna set the house on fire you know shit like that she right? left that for your parents and your parents were like what 70 something by then yeah they were seven in their 70s just really oh, normal parents uh i know so uh, it's just shit like that and then she'd show up at some of my gigs and kind of be a bully and she and then and then uh the internet happened right so uh she didn't have to leave these crazy lunatic answering machine messages anymore because um she got on the AOL AOL in the early days had like a music site and you could have a folder uh this is pre MySpace right um so it was like this folder that you could have i guess and then people could chime in so it was called the whole folder and courtney love was on there like every day with an alias and she had these little soldier like uh psychophants that would just cling on to every word she said yeah um so she would say terrible terrible things about me um to like in public right this is a very public arena she would say things like i stalked out in the park across the street from their house for days and weeks and i murdered their cat by um sticking a syringe in its eye and leaving the cat for dead on the porch just shit like that like How really can you sick even twisted think that stuff up i know right so and the these young women you know they could be like anywhere from 12 to 25 following her they they would eat that shit up and believe mm. her and follow her and there were several occasions where um i i came head on with some of these people there was one time i remember i was in a club and i came out and my car had been vandalized uh somebody took lipstick and wrote in a big heart um 
K, uh, K C plus CL, uh, fuck off, bitch. You know, oh, shit like, and it was in God. lipstick, so it's oh. like this really greasy, waxy, and it was in the winter, and I had to get the shit off and just constantly be like looking over my shoulder at like c- coming out of the subway and just always feeling like people were looking at me. Or now, just... who's the stalker then? Let's just ask that question. <laughs> Let's just pause and ask that question. Who is the creepy stalker? But Well, uh, right. Uh, but it is actually like cult leader behaviour when you think about that. Horrible. That, that sociopathic thing where um, you just become fixated on this idea that, you know, I, I don't know, it's just like the whole power trip thing, it, it it's out of control at this point in time. It's just, you know, at this, at this point, the Nirvana, like I said, they were doing really well mm. and, and they had just gotten married and um, newlyweds with this baby and instead they were just getting fucked up and bothering people and leaving horrible messages, just living, just... They must have been miserable. Mm. You know what I mean? Like they don't, really, really. Well, they don't shit. sound like people riding high on life at this point in time. But what? Just um, getting back to where you were. When did you? You were in Olympia for some time, though, weren't you? After the breakup, did you? Was this before um, um, the the harassment or after that you that you were in Olympia? I was yeah I was in Olympia pretty much during this oh, okay. harassment um and then I sorry I have to turn that up a little yeah I was I was in Olympia for most most of that time the mm-hmm. early night like 92 93 um and uh the yeah I I w- moved to Olympia um because I had met uh, this woman named Tenuvial at a party in Boston and uh, she was, <clears throat> I might have said this before, I don't remember, but that's like some people question, how'd you get to Olympia? You must have been stalking Kurt Cobain. And that's not how it happened. No. What had happened was I was a, at a party in Alston and I saw this really interesting looking girl and there were only like four people at this party and she had weird hair and she revealed that she had beautiful braids and she had a funny wig on and she was just really cool and I said who are you and she said I'm Tenuvial and I said do you know me and she said no and I said where have you been because I did I played in the subway a lot or whatever and she said I've been in Olympia and I said oh Olympia I know some people in Olympia and she said who do you know and I said I know Kathleen Hanna the singer for Bikini Kill and she said oh she's on my label and I said no she's on Kill Rock Stars mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said that that that's my label um you know I do the artwork and I'm one of the co-founders and I thought wow what what are you doing here at this miserable party in Alston and she said I don't know let's go and we left and we hung out that entire summer and then she moved back to Seattle uh, after visiting her parents that lived here for a while. And she wrote me a letter and said, you know, I miss you. Why don't you come out and visit? And I did. And that's when I um, went to Olympia. And I had met Kathleen on the phone through Kurt, right? Because mm. when we were together, he would often call Kathleen um, and just 
check in and she would say, are you, are you taking care of him? And I would say yes. And we'd laugh and she sounded really great. So when I got to Olympia, they knew, uh, Slim knew, Kathleen, Toby, everybody knew that I wasn't some fucking stalker, crazy fucking person because Kathleen had spoken to Kurt and he, and it was Kurt that told her about me, right? Yeah. So, right. So uh, anyway, I, I they were fine with me in Olympia because they knew the whole the, the story, right? Yeah. And that's not why I moved there anyway. I moved there because I... You know, I had a, Tenuvia was great, and Kill Rock Stars were great, and Slim was great. And then I, um, yeah, I got the opportunity to um, make a seven inch. I wrote a fucking song. I wrote a couple songs, right? They were my yeah. first songs, and they just happened to be about Kurt because that was my life. Um, it was not like I was like, I'm going to write a song about Kurt Cobain, you know? It's like, that was my fucking life. And it, I was thinking about this because I couldn't get away from it because he was a fucking huge rock star at that point. So I thought, well, maybe if I write a song, it might help. It might be cathartic, yeah. you know? So I did. And you know what and, else um, is interesting about that too is that it's not like you went chasing off after a label to release it. It was like... Oh, my God. It was the no. natural progression of Tanuvial totally, right? saying to you, oh, can you send me that song because I really like it. Yeah, it was totally organic, totally natural. I didn't do, I've never sent a demo tape in my life to anyone. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, so, and then it, it, it's also interesting because half of Bikini Kill ended up playing on that seven inch and i think that that's probably what drove courtney the craziest right is that it was me and toby right mm -hmm. and kathleen and donna dresch uh and suddenly i was in olympia and this was really driving courtney f fucking crazy <laughs> and <laughs> but it had nothing to do with me stalking anyone it was i was just living my life i happened to be in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time whatever i was just living my fucking life but see there was a war going on with um courtney and kathleen as well wasn't there because um yeah a little some of course i mean there was a you know it's this is interesting and i think i've talked to you about this something like this before where if somebody's like this hand like not a handler but like a fucking sociopath what they love to do is keep people that they want to control isolated mm. um so they cut them off from their friends um and i whether it's threatening their friends or um just shoving them out of the picture and it seems to me that that that's what Courtney did a lot, right? Because mm. all those people, all those friends in Olympia, he he was not able to talk to them again or see them again. Um, she she wouldn't have that, you know what I mean? He had, he barely had any fucking friends. Well, that's right. And I remember it was after he died, and Courtney was um, on Lollapalooza. I think it might have been around the time that second whole album, uh, third whole album came out, the Celebrity Skin one, and then there was a famous um, altercation between Kathleen and Courtney. So even after right. that, she still carried on these vendettas and, and you know, 
<laughs> weird kind of hit list people that she had, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. I think she she did physically, uh, I think she punched her in the face. I think that that's what happened. Yeah, because um, I was actually driving um, Steve Shelley and Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth and Mike D from the Beastie Boys in my car when they were talking mm-hmm. about it. And they said, oh, did you hear what happened between them? And, and it was like, oh, this is like everyone's talking about it and they're all saying she's fucking crazy you know and it's like you're not you're not the only one that it happened to you know (laughs) well you know and it just so happened to be one of Kurt's closest friends you know Mm. Kathleen was um and then uh she was always pretty quiet about about Toby and I think she knew better I really do, and I think she, you know, she didn't look at Toby as a threat at that point, whatever. Mm. Um, but so the Kathleen thing, right? And as I told you, I will tell my story about my own altercation, mm. um, right? So this is a crazy story. Uh, so anyway, what had happened was um, I was living in. Olympia at the time. Um, I had done a little tour with Beck and I had just, Beck was brand new, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, loser had been out for just a short time. Um, and I'm trying to remember, this is a while now, so if I get something wrong, I'm sorry, the timeline, whatever. But I, I remember that I had done a little tour with Beck and I had just gotten back and there was a show in Olympia and I went to the show and I remember I think Beck was there. Um, and I remember talking briefly to Slim Moon. Um, I think either the the whole record was out or there was a pre-release that was floating around to live through this. Um, and I it was the night that I got back, went to the show, talked to Slim, and I said to Slim, what do you think of the new whole record? And he said, I, I worry about Kurt. And I said, what, why, or something. And mm-hmm. he said, I, I just, it, it's something along those lines. Like, I, I worry about Kurt, and I don't think much of Hull or something, or Courtney, I don't think much of that, and mm-hmm. I worry about Kurt. So I was like, oh, okay. Then I went home, and I went to bed, and then the next morning, the phone rang, and I answered it, and it was Slim, right? The last person I saw before I went home. Yeah. And he said, Mary Lou, I have to tell you that Kurt died. And I thought he was just fucking with me because we had just talked like a few hours before. And I said, why are you fucking saying this? What are you doing? And he's like, no, 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 go turn on the TV. Um, And I did, and it was fucking nonstop, right? Mm. And I, I couldn't believe it. And I got dressed like a zombie and walked downtown, walked downtown in in Olympia. And, you know, this is the last place that Kurt lived um, before he went on to superstardom, right? Mm. Uh, The last place he was normal or whatever. And just walking around. And everybody in Olympia knew it. You know what I mean? They loved him. They loved the fact that Nirvana, you know, everyone. And so I just walking, walking around and people looking like absolute fucking zombies looking absolutely lost um and so i went up to the kill rock stars office and it was just like 
it was just like the weirdest, weirdest Twilight Zone kind of shit. It was awful. And then, uh, then I, I spoke to this Steve Fisk, um, who was a friend of mine, a friend of mine, um, and I went up to Seattle, um, and I hung out at Steve's. Everyone just kind of wanted to be with somebody, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and so Steve was the next day or a couple days later, whenever, like going to the to the kind of a funeral service and I was just with Steve and I said Steve I don't know if I should go and he said just come whatever and so I went and I saw Eric outside and Eric signaled just come in you know kind of thing and so it was basically all the Nirvana people and I sat in the back and um it's like it was just crazy mm. so sad so crazy kurt's mom everybody courtney everybody was, was it, there was it in a funeral home type it was yeah it was in kind of like a a churchy kind of a they he had been cremated mm -hmm. um so like that like yeah. i don't really know i was my brain was gone um but anyway i I will remember I went to the bathroom, and when it came out of the bathroom, I bumped straight into Courtney, Ooh. right? Uh, so anyway, sh the weirdest thing. So she gave me this hug, and like a hug for a long time, and she said, I know how much he meant to you. He meant it all. He meant it how much he meant whatever and she's like we all have to go through this together or something like that and she said you can come over to the house later if you want and I was like oh my fucking god right so I went over to Steve and I was shaken by this like shaken on top of being shaken by being like oh my god should I even be here or whatever but, oh shit right so that was crazy after all that that was nuts right so I thought wow so I didn't end up going to Courtney's mm. after the after the service. I went to uh, Chris and Shelley's. So m the record company people, of course, and the lawyers and all those, you know, the corporate <laughs> mm. went to uh, Courtney's, the Seattle house, um, Lake Washington or whatever, and. Um, and the, the the normal people, <laughs> the, normal, the friends, went to Chris and Ch the friends, whatever yeah. you know, and and it was nice because, of course, yeah, Dave was there, Chris was there. They were really nice to me. They knew who I was. They knew the whole fucking deal, whatever. Um, and it wasn't like this big deal. It was just like the, Kurt had died, you know, uh, so they weren't worrying about fucking Mary Lucy, you know, whatever, you know, like mm. they didn't give a shit, you know, everybody was just trying to support everyone else. It was really, really crazy. Mm. Um, and so, <laughs> which leads me to my next crazy story. So anyway, a few months go by and I'm in LA, right? So there were a few labels at this point that were interested in me. Um, because of the Beck connection, the woman, Margaret, who had signed Beck, um, w had signed me, right? She wanted to work with me, uh, for, with, uh, BMG. She was a public, 
publisher. Mm -hmm. Um, So BMG, so uh, a lot of people were um, interested in her because she was new and Beck was new and I was the next person that she had signed that she was working with. So people were interested in me. I was in L.A., um, talking to some different labels and just meeting people. Um, I uh, had hired a booking agent from William Morris named Allison Hamamora and Keith Sarkeesian. Um, and it just so happened that Allison was also um, Hull's booking agent. <laughs> right. Imagine so she- that. Imagine, oh my God, the story just crazy, right? So... I was I had the night off. I was going back to Seattle the next day, and she's like, "Why don't you come to the show <laughs> at the Palladium, the record release for Live Through This?" I'm like, "I can't go to that show." And she's like, "She was nice to you at the service. Just just come. It'll be fun. Something to do." And I thought, "All right, you know, I was there. I knew I knew a lot of people that were there um, anyway, right?" So. Um, I went with Tim Riley, who was working um, at Irving Azoff's label, um, Giant at the time. Um, and so I went to the show. Uh, Veruca Salt opened. I liked them. And after the show, I was at this like little party thing, kind of waiting for Tim and waiting for Allison to say goodbye or whatever. So I'm at this party. The show was good. It was over. Um, and it was basically the record release for Live Through This. Um, it was probably three or four months after Kurt died. Um, and again, it's in LA at the Palladium. Um, so I was sitting there and I saw Courtney over there signing something or talking to some young Asian women. And she looked (laughs) over and she saw me and she had a pad, like a pad paper and a pen and she dropped everything and I saw her mouth go Mary Lou Lord like that right so she dropped everything and she ran over towards me and I stood up like holy shit because I'd been sitting at this little table and she pushed me down and my back like went uh, like into these stairs like I fell on my back oh my gosh so there was a physical assault oh yeah she pushed me and I fell and like I said, these little this little staircase was right behind me in my back. Like the stairs went in my back, and and then out of nowhere, this huge like sumo wrestler guy like decked Courtney, grabbed her, um, and he and she's screaming, "Let me go! I'm Courtney Love! Fucking let me go! It's my show! It's my show!" So this like sec- this shit, right? Oh my god! So the security person just saw this the woman security, assault yeah, you yeah. and thought, "Oh my god!" He gotta- know, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he held her back, and I'm like, "Holy fucking shit!" So I just bolted, right? And I don't know my way out. I don't, I've never been in this building before, so I'm just hitting like every door that said exit. Mm-hmm. And so I hit that one. I hit that one, and then I hit one finally. And I'm like, oh my god, it's the fucking fire escape, right to the side of the building. I know that and one. The, you can see I'm it from on sunset. The t- I'm yeah, I'm on the top of the fire, right? So the top, and it's pretty tall. It's not like very tall, but kind of tall. I know, right? So I'm like, I'm running down this fucking fire escape for 20 20 feet or something it's a fire escape so i'm running down the fire escape and then i i bolt into the yard um 
and it's the yard, it's fenced in where the limousines go. And there was this guy at the fence with like a headset on and I run, and I was about to run out of the gate and he grabbed me um, and he's like, what's going on? What did you steal? What's going on? And I'm like, I didn't steal anything. Courtney's coming. Courtney's coming. Let me go. And he wouldn't let me go. And he had me like by the shoulder and just my shirt and everything. So I wiggled. I wrestled my way out of everything and when I did my uh hat came off um my bra came off my shirt everything came (laughs) off so here I am right fucking topless I'm running down the middle because I thought if I run in the middle of the street maybe a car will pull pull over so I'm running uh, down the middle of Sunset Boulevard right with no shirt I'm so nervous I Piss my pants, oh, right? And no. I look behind me, and sh- here she comes, right? So she's screaming. She had made her way down the fire escape and by the guy with the headset, and she's screaming, I'm gonna fucking kill you. So she's running, I'm running down the middle of fire escape, uh, running down the middle of Sunset Boulevard with no shirt, oh, hands crossed over. And then here she comes, no shoes. She's wearing this like powder blue slip dress thing that she hikes up so she can run faster. And when she did, uh, the spaghetti strap parts fell down. So she's basically running down the middle of Sunset Boulevard with a blue thing wrapped around her middle. Oh, Fucking tits flying. God. And here I am running with no shirt ready. She's like, I'm gonna fucking kill you. So Tim Riley, that was with me, um, he got by the guy and he picked up my my shirt and stuff and he flew by Courtney and he caught up with me and he grabbed my hand and we ran in back of a Denny's and we hid in the back of um, one of those really big um, light base lamp based things yeah, and we were so, yeah so we're hiding behind that and then but before we made it to the Denny's I looked back and uh even right when Courtney started when I looked back to see Courtney I also saw the people at at the fence right there were like a hundred people uh in the yard uh the guard wouldn't let them go out of the gate so everyone from fucking Danny DeVito to you know just these parade of people chasing Courtney down the fire escape oh my god it's like the Cod Piper (laughs) <laughs> it's crazy. And I did see a guy with a shoulder camera. It wasn't like a little uh, cell phone. You know, they those hadn't come along yet. There was a guy, I saw somebody with a camera. This was filmed. Um, yeah. Why so, hasn't that ever surfaced? Courtney, right? So anyway, uh, we're hiding behind the lamppost and we can hear them. They went this way. They went that way. Blah, blah. Um, and each time they get close, we'd kind of we were squatting down, we'd like on like twirl around the bottom of the lamppost so they wouldn't see us. And so when the co- we thought the coast was clear, um, we couldn't hear them anymore. It was Courtney and like two, maybe some of her fucking fan lemmings that was still hanging around outside, whatever. Um, so when we couldn't hear them anymore, we were like, all right, let's let's go. Um, and so when we got to the um, driveway of the Denny's, there was this fucking kid there and he had two broken bottles, like straight out of like Warriors oh, come out to play. God. Right? That was scary, right? that these... movie. Well, this was fucking scary because it was the same thing. In right? real so this life. Kid. <laughs> yeah. So he's got these broken bottles. He's like, what's going on? He's like, he's like. 
you killed Kurt Cobain. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, what did you do? Who are you? And I had to tell him the whole story, like how I knew what the fuck. Right. And he's like, I guess, I guess you're okay. I, I, I guess I believe you. And I'm like, oh, my God. So finally, we had calmed the kid down. He's like, be careful, man. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, be careful. Right. Thanks, kid. So anyway, I get in Tim's car. We made it back to his car. And we go to the hotel that I'm staying at, the Mondrian, right? So he's like, I'm going to go park and I'll call you from the lobby or whatever. And he had you so close at this me. point, didn't he? He, got, he picked I think up I put, all I put, He had picked up the things. I think I put them back on oh, when I was lucky. behind the lamp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, I went up to the room and he called me from the lobby. And he's like, Mary Lou, he's like, he's like, you're not going to fucking believe this. And I'm like, what? He's like, they're fucking here. And I'm like, oh, no, they found me. They found me. Oh, fuck. I'm dead. I'm dead. Right. So I got so scared that I called the police. Right. And um, and Tim, uh, I don't remember what if he came up or what happened, but I called the cops. And then in between Tim coming up and the cops coming, I got a clue. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I called the front desk and I was like, um, could you tell me if Hole is staying here oh, at this hotel? No. And he's like, why, ye why yes, are you with the party? And I'm like, no. So the cops came and I said it was a big misunderstanding, blah, blah. And, um, and I left, right? And Tim took me back to his and I'm like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of this town. So I flew back to <laughs> Seattle immediately. Like I think he took me to the airport or something. I was just like, get me the oh fuck my God. out of here. What are the chances? Oh, I guess it's LA. I, uh, Hollywood's like a small town. <laughs> so anyway, I get back to Seattle and I'm pretty shaken up and whatever. And uh, about a month later, um, the new Rolling Stone comes out. Mm -hmm. And what's on the cover? Courtney Love. Um, and I, right, so it was, she was on the cover because uh, her new album. And in the story, they had covered that record release party at the Palladium. And then they mentioned um, in the magazine. Uh, and then the weird fiasco between Mary Lou Lord and, and you, Courtney, can you tell us what happened there? And what she said was, oh, Mary Lou Lord. Uh, she, at one time, she gave Kurt a blowjob in the back of a dark van, and now she's trying to make a career out of it. <laughs> oh, my Can God. She imagine? said that in Rolling Stone. And you know what? That is like one of those quotes that just has been out there and out there and out there forever. And this is the She's thing. the one. You can't yeah. get rid of it. You can't. What right of reply did you have? You didn't have one. I, you know, I, I didn't have an internet. I didn't have a, a voice. I, I didn't even have a record out yet. You know what I mean? I had the seven inch out. I, I had done nothing really mm. up to that point. I was no one. You know what I mean? And so she said that, and obviously, it was a lie, right? And one. Of the, I mean, it, I was devastated, right? I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. One of the things um, that really upset me about it um, was that she would, uh, not only me was she uh, lying about, right? I mean, it's completely untrue. Mm. Um, 
but it was also untrue um and about kurt right like <laughs> he wasn't that kind of a person and so not only is it insulting and vulgar um what she said about me but it's also not the kind of person that Kurt was. And it's disrespectful right? because that, she's, absolutely disrespectful. She's got a child that's going to read that. And think not 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 just that, but I mean yeah, that's that is true, but what I'm saying is he wasn't that kind of a person. No. And that is not what happened. He wasn't the kind of a guy that's going around getting blowjobs in dark vans by people, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, and so to insult him that way when he was dead, uh, I just thought it was off, like really distasteful, um, completely sociopathic, um, a big lie. I, I, in retrospect, if I had been smarter back then, but I was so afraid of her. I really was. I, I knew what she was capable of, and I was petrified of her. Um, I needed to protect my parents. Um, I needed to protect myself um i i knew that i had no way to fight her i mean she's on the cover of fucking rolling stone right i had no no, no chance to even try well, to at, attempt to at this point you'd had threats of having your house burnt down your parents she knew <laughs> where your parents lived she'd already you'd seen the look of sheer um anger and murder in her eyes when she chased you down sunset i mean it's like no wonder you just wanted to leave things and go you know yeah and so in retrospect had i been tougher and smarter i probably would have sued her um and i probably you know for li liable yeah, or defamation slander or whatever yeah. and i yeah and i would have sued rolling stone as well for mm. not fact checking and letting that kind of language go absolutely because uh, that's one of the worst things that you can say about another woman and i mean you wouldn't have someone saying that about another um female like peer in Rolling Stone now, would you? I mean, who would do that? No one. It would not fly. Absolutely not fly. And not only um, is it distasteful, um, but it's a lie. Exactly uh, it's, it's a lie. It's disrespectful, it's distasteful, and it's disrespective, um, disrespecting Kurt, right? Mm. Um, even though he kind of was a little fucking shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the way that he he treated that they they went along with her, you know. He didn't have a grow a fucking backbone and mm. and tell her to fuck off. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I'm not doing, I'm not your bitch. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and and so he was he was a little shit, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, Absolutely. And it, yeah, it. it <laughs> I mean, right now it's like I'm fucking old, and I, you know, it's like ugh. That's a long time ago now. But at the time, if you put yourself in my shoes or if anyone can, like that's that's the shit that I went through. And it really it really hurt because I was just nobody, you know, and here's this person that's like the biggest somebody saying stuff about me that wasn't true. And yeah, what am I supposed right. to do? So the best thing that I tried to do, I guess, um, 
And as you can imagine, after she said that in Rolling Stone, um, that I'm going around giving blowjobs, <laughs> uh, and then Margaret Middleman had kind of just signed me, and Beck's song Loser was like, doing very well there was a lot of interest mm. in me right so in a lot of ways Courtney Love was the best publicist I never had right so uh I think when people were like "Ooh, who's this Mary Lou right they might have been all like "Ooh," they might have thought that I'd I would imagine that they would think I would be some Tracy Lords more mm. more than Porn Mary Lou, or more like well, just like <laughs> more like uh, a cross between like Kylie Minogue and like bimbo yeah. dance music or something, whatever. And then they come across my record or my music, and I think that they were probably like, well, that's kind of wimpy and kind of twee and kind of well whatever come it's on nice. you got you know, some good reviews uh, i have i'm just saying that they it was probably something that they didn't expect right. and i think a lot of them were pleasantly surprised that i was like a real person and that i didn't necessarily need to be uh fucking around to get a deal or whatever you know what i mean because that's never ever been what i've been about i've just been lucky i guess because i happen to love music and and maybe i like it before everybody else likes it you know i'm i, I the same thing sometimes people say about elliot they're like how'd you know elliot or da 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 and it's like the same reason that i love phoebe bridges right mm. um if i had been more aware of phoebe bridges even a year ago i would have wanted to be and and if i were younger i'd want to be her best friend i i would be like how I was with Sean Colvin, right? Mm -hmm. Before she even had a record deal. It's the same thing. I'm a fan. That's why I was there. Mm. Because I knew about his band before other people did. Because I'm a good listener and because I I love music, right? And that's what Kurt did too. He loved music and so did Elliot. These people are fans. Mm. Um, and that's another thing about Courtney Love like I don't really think she's a fucking fan of music like I've watched her she's very good actress and very good at going through the rock and roll motions and she seems to like the idea of rock star uh, you know what I mean like but I don't think it's about the music with her I, well, I, I've is... seen her try to do 13 oh my god and she, fucking ruins it and that's a song that if you love songs if you love music that's that's like in you and you don't go there you know what i mean if you can't do it right you don't go there well the other thing about that i've seen that clip on youtube not only is she reading it from the piece of paper with glasses which is fine we're all we're all getting older and it's hard to see but if you're gonna choose a song like that Unless you know it inside and out. And that guitarist, that young guy she had with her accompanying her, <laughs> he got the chords wrong. And it's like... It was it was awful. There right. was just so, no way that... Right. So it's just like, what's the fucking... It, right. So my, my theory is that she wanted to be an actress all along mm. or... Um, and she's a good actress. <laughs> well, you know what right? my theory is, and this could be totally wrong, but... The whole narcissistic personality disorder is that these people aren't wearing their own skin. They're wearing mm. a mask and, they're, and they've got this facade that they cultivate and they get supply of people that, <laughs> that flock to them and treat them like they're this 
otherworldly being and then when the mask starts slipping they have to go and move on and make new supply or if they have a threat to their image of someone who might be able to see past the veneer then they're going to shut that person down because they're going to expose them for what they are so it sort of follows along those patterns doesn't it it does and it seems to me um you know she was starting some acting stuff and uh i'm sure that there were there were castings for sid and nancy Mm. and courtney played gretchen and (laughs) she didn't get to be and she didn't get to be Nancy. She was and really, no, that, I know. She was really, actually. It must have pissed her off so much that what she did was she was like, you know, instead of playing Nancy, I'm going to, I'm going to one-up that. I'm going to one-up that shit. And I'm going to become fucking Courtney Love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, become Nancy. And she did. Yeah, she became that. No, no, no. She she outdid Nancy. Yeah, too. true. <laughs> That's right. That's so, exactly right. But I think a lot of it might have stemmed from the rejection and all the rejections that she probably got um, in the course of her life. She had a hard life. Mm. I, I don't, uh, I'm not saying she didn't, you know what I mean? She, she has pulled herself out of whatever wreckage uh, she was born into oh, or whatever absolutely. record she dreamed up or whatever. I mean, having a trust fund, which she did, mm. isn't going to be the thing that saves your life. I don't, I don't know. Maybe she was just born that way. But um, but it just seems to me that she's a person that was driven um, for, for power, really. Um, and the platforms of rock and roll music um was just a stepping stone Mm. um acting a stepping stone in becoming famous and then it and ultimately being wealthy right because that just seems to be her agenda she likes to have a lot of money and she likes a lot of money so she can have a lot of lawyers because she likes to talk Mm. she likes to lie she likes to open her fucking mouth and she needs a lot of lawyers because of her lifestyle well speaking speaking of that we've got a little clip (laughs) from a um a little audio interview that she did with um someone you know marco and and this is you know this i've heard this clip of course because i gave it to you yeah but what but this is the kind of thing this is just one of them you know what i mean this is the kind of thing that she you know when people say oh mary lou you just talk about kurt and courtney it's like this could have died you know died with Kurt a long time ago or died down and she was the one that kept fanning the flames of this fucking thing yeah by talking about it by harassing me by bringing it up you know what I mean like she wouldn't let it go uh she prolonged um this fucking uh connection and this whole thing you know what I mean? It wasn't just me and Kurt, in other words. It had become me and Courtney at this point. Well, the whole thing was that you had a, you did have a career and you did get a record deal and you did put a record out that was um, well-received and critically acclaimed and that's got no shadow. And And the thing is, it's it's like, well, you were on a different plane to her. It wasn't like you were competing with her at any point Mm -hmm. in time. So 
No. It's unusual. I just I just loved music, you know what mm. I mean? And inherently I I was um blessed and lucky. Uh, and, and again, in the right place at the right time, I've met some amazing people. I know I let a lot of amazing people down, um, you know, having getting pregnant um, the first the the week that your record comes out. Right. Isn't uh, usually uh, what the label wants at all. Mm. Um, and then I kind of the, then the label folded anyway. But whatever. I know I let some people down. Um but, but you know what? At that point, you were living your life, and I, I, I was. But I, but I'm, you know, if I let some people down, if they're listening, I'm sorry. Um, they know who they are, whatever. But I, mm. again, yeah, I did um, manage to eke out a living and make a career um, by just loving, loving songs and trying to respect the treatment of the songs, the people that wrote some of the songs, the whole thing, um, trying to respect the whole thing as much as I could. Um, and then, but yeah, so, but this thing has been following me like a, you know, like a weird shadow, you know, like mm. this, this thing, like people are like, what's, what's that all about? So hopefully, you know, this interview here mm. um, on this podcast helps clear some of this up. It's crazy, you know what I mean? And it's a long time ago now, but it was very, very hard for me to shake it. Yeah, and I think it's it's absolutely important that you get to just talk like this and just tell tell the story how it happened, which is what you've done. And that's, you know, I, I, I think that you don't, like when we were talking um, in the last episode, you never really got that resolution. You never got the chance to say, what were you thinking? Why? How did <laughs> oh, that happen? Yeah. yeah. What was right. that phone call all about? Why did you right. just drop drop everything and then everything right. changed? I mean, you never got yep. to ask him that because not only did he die, you know, unexpectedly in a way, like at a, at a young age, it 20 you know it, it didn't get the chance to fulfill whatever it was but the other side of it is that he was already like huge then and it's hard to get in touch with people under the best of circumstances right but when someone's isolated like that and taken away from that yeah. connection with your life before you never yep. get like ordinarily you can still keep in touch with people even if you you know a few years right. down the track you can reconnect right. as friends or whatever and he could have yeah. you know what i mean he could have stayed friends with kathleen and slim and yeah and, uh toby and everyone that he was friends with i i don't see him as having like a very wide uh, scope of friends because he was in a band and they worked their asses off. Mm. You know what I mean? So he had the guys from the label, Sub Pop, and some, of course, some fans and some close friends in Olympia. But, um, like, I, I don't also think that people realize that, um, that even though Nirvana weren't around for a long time and they, they, it was like this 
this incredible surge of energy and then it went away you know it was, it was this huge mm. thing that happened but it happened so quickly right mm. like more like a like a tornado like i said before rather than like a slow burning hurricane or something it was like <laughs> wow what just happened right um and and so when People, what people don't realize is that they had been a band for quite a long time, mm. um, and it took a while to get to that point. So um, it might have been, you know, a little bit, a little bit tired um, at that point and lonely. Like, like when I think about, I wonder why he chose to be with her or whatever and and i know that he was lonely mm-hmm. you know what i mean he told me he was lonely and i and i know that um he probably most likely wanted a family wanted a baby all that but i don't think he wanted it so quickly mm-hmm. but i think that he welcomed it when it all happened and um yeah but it was just so everything was so quick about the whole thing i mean even when you think of how long courtney was with him it wasn't a very long time Mm. you know no well that's exactly right and it's just like a life is so um like everything that happened in that time if you think about it in relation to the length of his actual life it's probably like what a third of his adult life was being mm-hmm. in a band and playing music or oh yeah you know right. and that's like maybe again another say third of that third was being successful at it in terms of you know making a living out of it mm, and such a short short time yeah to, to get to really didn't ever get to well I was going to say enjoy it but you know that's not why a musician that's a real musician does what they do is it they do it because they can't not do it absolutely Um, yeah so he but it is it is just such a long process and I think that a lot of people you know they they think oh overnight sensation when that's not the case at all um you know you can be tired it's like I think that they had been together for at least eight years or maybe longer Mm. like it and it was you know basically Chris and and Kurt um, that's, you know, so, ah, crazy, crazy. But, um, yeah, about this clip that, that we'll play, uh, <laughs> we started talking about it, that we w- went on a tangent. Of but course. This <laughs> clip of Courtney, um, being interviewed by Marco Collins on, K- uh, the end. Um, and this was before I put out Got No Shadow. So here's Courtney, uh, talking about me which is one of it, like i said it was one of her favorite things to do that's, Come on. that's like the goddess of evil man if anybody had laid a finger on my husband you know i mean him getting stalked by 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 the stalker oh, your you're, gonna, you're gonna start blaming you're gonna yeah, start Mary, blaming Mary me Lee for that again stalker, crazy girl you're, you're <laughs> you know big artist i mean annie defranco jennifer Tryon. i mean you want a good solo artist try one that can write a song uh, you never of like 2.3 songs for yeah. four years and been and all 2.3 of them about me and kurt <laughs> you're never gonna let me live that down are it's you it's so cocky of you <laughs> oh man Mary Lord, she's pretty on the inside and she's pretty on the out. I hope she has the heart to back it up. You know, I mean, come on. The end. 
well, imagine that. She's comparing you to these people just probably because she probably doesn't even know um, Annie DeFranco and Jennifer Tran, and she probably just saw the bill for Lil Fair or something and then, <laughs> and then thought, right. oh, she's playing on that bill. But really, I mean, what what does she did she have to gain by even mentioning that? It's just crazy. Yeah. So, but this was this is just one of them. I one know. of the rants. One of the many rants. Uh, and so, I hope that people, uh, anyone that has listened, will get um, more of a perspective of why I. Even now, right, all these fucking years later, uh, I carry this certain um, th- fucking feeling about all this. You know what I mean? Like, a, right. and it's like, yeah, of course I've let it go. You know what I mean? Of course I've let I've let it go. But I think anyone could sort of sympathize with why it was such a big thing. Well, you know what, as a as an observer of all this and having had an interaction with Courtney myself and, and other friends have, it's like, um, well, imagine at the time you were pretty much gripped by fear so you couldn't react on the sense, mm. in the sense that you didn't know what power, I mean, she was a very powerful person at that point in time and had a lot of money and all of that and had a platform to say whatever she wanted about you. So mm-hmm. you had that fear. And then mm. it wasn't till later that you could probably process all of that and then have an, a reaction of annoyance and anger. And now I imagine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, now you just feel like, okay, I just want to put it out there that none of that was true. Anything that she said about me was just not true. Which right. is something you've never really had a chance to say. No, I, I uh, there's something that I wrote um, because, oh, <laughs> it was interesting. I saw something on Wikipedia when Wikipedia was kind of new and it said something about me that wasn't accurate. And I went really, I got really upset and f- I wrote this big, long article, I guess, and I gave it to Oedipus. Oh, that's right. Um, I saw that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I didn't know what he was going to do with it, and he archived it. So I know that that's, like, out there somewhere. Um, and But that was basically, I felt like, I don't know if you saw the, read the book uh, Juliet Naked. I did. But, um, yeah, so good. So when uh tucker fucker <laughs> fake tucker right yeah <laughs> but he was similar to that he, like he read something about himself and he knew that it wasn't true um but what do you do you know and so i can't remember exactly what it was but i wanted to set the record straight yeah because i c- did not know how to configure wikipedia to fix it yeah. like other people do it and i'm like what the fuck that that didn't happen right so i wrote this big long thing and gave it to Oedipus um, not knowing that he was going to put it in a public archive thing and that's fine you know but uh, I've never really addressed it um, publicly like this yeah and I think it's it's one thing to have it you know out there on someone else's site in a written form but to hear you be able to articulate it as a, a part of your life in your own words, in person, 
is is a lot. Um, it's a, it has a lot more impact, I think. And we know. Well, that it's. I would think. I would think so. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm real. I'm a real it's person. True. Yeah. And and I think that anyone that knows me, they know I'm a little bit nutty. Right. Um, I used to drink too much, whatever. And I'm a person that I'm very much like the other people that I grew up with in music, in the music culture, in the rock and roll culture. Right. Mm. People are a little bit different. (laughs) Um, And that's awesome. That makes that makes it all really kind of fun. Right. And Uh, I'm not I'm different than I was. Um, a million years ago I'm a lot more courageous and I don't take shit anymore Um, but it is a really weird thing when there's no internet to fight back with (laughs) and you're squashed and and you're up against uh, this very very powerful woman um, that's saying lies about you like horrendous lies about you in Rolling Stone Um, and, and that's another thing I think about the power that she once had, right? Um, and how she stands as this role model for young women, blah, blah. And I think, what the fuck did she do, right? I mean, what did she really do uh, that was sort of uh, benevolent? And and what did, did she, what kind of giving back did she do? You know, there's other people out there that have, um, from Kathleen Hanna to uh, a bunch of riot riot girl movement folks that would start things like Girls Rock Camp or really like like kind of more invisible behind the scenes um, uh, start startups for young women. Well, it's interesting to- you say that because I th- I've told you this before about. Um, the whole um, thing that started Girls Rock Camp and all of those things was Rock and Roll High School in Melbourne. And they were interviewed, and I was actually in it as well, this movie called Not Bad for a Girl. I don't know if you've seen that, but it was made by a woman in Seattle. I can't remember her name. But she interviewed Hole and L7 and Bikini Kill and all those people, and they came all the way to Australia and came to the school where it was all happening. And then so Courtney thought, well, I might want to go and visit that school when I come to Melbourne. And she did. And But what did she do? She brought her own camera crew and <laughs> she said, well, if I'm going to give this talk, I'm going to make sure that I document it for myself so that I can re- send it out to all these other places and make money out of it. So it's like, you know, not giving a talk about women in the music industry for the benefit of these young girls that were there to see her in this little front room of an old house in Mel- in a city Melbourne. But she just said, no photos, no one's allowed to take any photos, only person can record this is my camera crew and I don't want to hear any of the bands play, I'm not interested in that, I just want to give my talk and get out and no photos and all of that. And it was really like these young girls, there were some who were like 12, 13, yeah, they'd all practised and they were ready to play for uh, not interested, no. Nah. And it's like it's exactly what you say. It's not in the spirit of what it was intended. Uh, right. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
a chance for a photo op. Right. Uh, yeah, well, and it's like I actually did ask her a question about creative control once you're on a major label. Do you have to relinquish that? How do you feel about people who followed you from before and then they say, oh, you're selling out? And she said... Selling out is selling all the tickets to your shows. <laughs> and that's what I always remember. And I thought, yeah, that sort of sums it up. But yeah. interesting. <laughs> She's no June Millington. Yeah. <laughs> this is right. And, and But getting back to what you were saying about music people, and it seems to me that like music people gravitate towards each other. We're, we're like a certain cult in a way but driven by the leader which is the songs it's mm. not a person who's taking control of you it's music and it's songs and it's mm. just being fanatical exactly. about that right, so right. it's also interesting to me that you would say when you described the you know the the wake after the memorial service that you had Courtney off with the corporates and then you mm, had the friends, the musicians, the people that yeah. actually connected on another level. So it, it it sort of is a pattern that's emerging, isn't it? Or has over time confirmed that that sort of theory that a lot of people have had about the the music being secondary in in her case. I mean. It's all speculation, allegedly. It's all. It, it's just an opinion, but it, it seems to be an opinion that emerges based on actions. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I can't really articulate it very well. But it, it, again, being an actress, I thought she was fantastic in um, A Man on the Moon, the Andy Kaufman story, and and she was really good in Larry Flint, The People versus Larry mm -hmm. Flint, but. You know, as a musician, it, she could play the parts and she could mm. do the thing and act like a rock star, but was it authentic? I just don't know. Right. I I think that lived through this, that was a great record. Really good album. I um, loved that album. So good. Me too. Um, and I mean, there's certain things that are undeniable, um, that she's brilliant um, she's driven, she works really hard, she, you know, uh, seems to be a, a good mother, um, all the rest of it, but uh, just, th there's so much uh, that I could say regarding <laughs> that uh, shit that I don't know about, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm not a psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, but, but I do think that there's a lot of sociopathic behavior and um narcissistic shit and that she i think her agenda at the end of the day is money because she, like what look at what she does now she's boring as shit she goes to fashion shows she wears shitty dorky clothes mm. um she has shitty little fashion shit it's just I think, like, I'm, I don't know about this, but I think that Kurt, I think he would be fucking appalled. I mean, there's nothing punk rock about her. Well, And I don't really think there ever was. I think she was just like, this is the next step in my success, and this is what's hot right now, and I'm just going to do this. Well, do you know what really threw me for a loop? In terms of, you know, I, I thought, I thought, well, okay, well, she's a 
a musician. She's this. She's gone through the thing and she's the whole rock star, punk rock. Now she's acting. But do you know what was the really telling thing that made me think, this is all bullshit? Remember when she was the spokesperson and the ad person for that vape thing? Do you remember that? Oh, my that? God. And then yes. I thought, what an anti-punk rock thing to do. <laughs> I mean, uh, how? She is one of the most anti-punk rock people I've ever, I've ever encountered, I've ever thought of. It was very. I've ever witnessed. It was very unusual watching her on those ads. I couldn't believe it. It was like, well, you can smoke wherever you want now, and you can vape in the party or whatever. And it was like, oh, do you remember man. those? I yes, of course I do. I've got to have like a called, I've got to have a look at it on see if there's one on YouTube and post it. Yeah, I forget the name of that silly thing. It didn't last. No, and, and I doubt she was. Well, maybe she was vaping, but. Um, I'm sure she was sneaking a few butts <laughs> on the side as well. But yeah. um, the other thing I was going to mention when we were talking about, yes, she's worked her way through life and didn't have the easiest of um, times, mm-hmm. you know, going to New Zealand and being put in the reform school or whatever it was. But remember about her grandmother. Tell me the story mm. about her grandmother. She was a pretty smart lady. Yeah, I think her name was Paula Fox. That's and right. She wrote uh, children's stories, um, I think, or some kind of a writer, a novelist, or something. Um, really brilliant woman. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. And I, I think that she only found out about her later, or something like that. But and and weird, like um, like adoptions, and yet. She was very similar to her grandmother and her grand, and she was very similar to her mom, and just weird shit that I don't really remember. But something about like adoptions. Yeah, there was um, some, um, and and this woman Paula Fox was quite influential in the in literary and art circles. Yeah, mm-hmm. mm, but it'll be interesting. Brilliant. If anyone wants to delve into that aspect, we'll, um, we're not going to go into it now, obviously, but it was just interesting to there's put just that a, in. Yeah, very interesting, yeah. There's just so much to cover, I mean, about her. There's just so much to, to say. To uh, yeah. But hopefully this, um, this interview, this little podcast here, this segment will clear up um, some questions that people might have had or... Yeah, well, just yeah. about your um, interaction, your relationship with Kurt, mm-hmm. how you met and how Courtney ended up being a part of your life that you didn't ask. <laughs> you did uninvited, <laughs> uninvited, right. we'll say. But, yeah. um, but it's interesting because we were also talking about Elliot, how, um, you know, people were saying, well, how did you get to know Elliot and how come you knew Kurt and all of those things. But as you say, music people, music fans all gravitate together. I mean, that's how we know each other. That's how you meet most of the people that I know. you know. And up- that was totally, and that was like without internet, you know what I mean? Like there was exactly. no internet back then. Um, and yet we still like water really seeks its own level and in music, um, there is a lot of like 
I'm not all that spiritual, but there are a lot of vibrations going around, right? And like little antennas, you make music and you're putting out these little signals, like like you've got these antennas that I do think can pick up um, energy, uh, similar energy, right? Um, Like how water seeks its own level or certain elements seek their own kind mm. and like the quantum thing yeah like how it, it can exist and be over there and be calling out to the other uh quantum thing oh my god have you seen <laughs> and somehow yeah. find each find each other even though there's no reason that it should have because it's right. invisible and that's like have you seen that movie um what the bleep do we know or whatever it is and it's about no. <laughs> that. It's exactly about that. It's about um, quantum physics and how your brain waves um, determine your interactions with other people and stuff like that. And it had these um, patterns that form in your brain and and depending on what you're looking at at any given time or what you're listening to and things like that and how some people's are similar and it was about the brainwaves i i saw it a long like many years ago but um it was actually really interesting because it's exactly that it was like the molecules of water changing yeah and all of that Right. Well, like everything is light, right? I think even water is light and uh, vibrations are light and that kind of thing, like shit that I have no idea about. I was going to say, um, I'm no physicist. Don't quote (laughs) me on any of this. No, of course not. But, but But you can sort of feel it, you know what I mean? Like when it comes to music, like there's something in it that it's like a law of attraction, like built into it. I think so. Um, yeah, and and it can be picked up from miles and miles and miles away, um, because when there's a vibration made from an instrument or from a voice or from whatever, uh, it I would imagine that that's a unit of energy, a vibration, a unit of light that goes on forever, um, and if that's floating around out there the law of attraction will be that I'm sending out these signals and my signals are going to pick them up. So I that's sort of my theory of how in the early stages of my own career, um, I, how I got to be where I was to meet these people and be part of that big ball of energy that... Uh, was happening in the early 90s absolutely and yeah and it sort of you know it, it affected us all and even people that didn't know Kurt Cobain personally um, felt that effect because with those Definitely. songs we all thought that we knew that person and that's the power of music isn't it and a, the power of a good songwriter is that they can tap into the collective consciousness and and you feel like you know that person absolutely and you feel a little bit like you know yourself mm. a little bit more as well and like i was saying in that lad, last podcast um not to keep i mean we'll wrap up soon but um how i was saying that at that time um I guess we would be called Generation X, uh, anyone in the demographic that could be anywhere from 45 to uh, 
60 right mm. now, right? This the last of the baby boomers. That's right. Um, it's sort of like a weird time for us because we weren't part of that late 60s or even the early 70s or even the disco thing, really. Mm. So we're this weird generation kind of out there that I mean we got like metal bands hair metal and Michael Jackson shit and MT early MTV and so it's like what the fuck did we have you know and then along came all those uh, independent labels and the independent bands and the whole underground um, lo-fi movement that was happening that just kind of really uh, really got going in the early 90s that and became mainstream Mm. it felt it really felt like there was we we had um a a a face and a place and a voice um at at finally you know what i mean like this our little weird generation of the tail end of the baby boomers exactly um we had something special and i think that everyone wants something special and that was ours and it ended a bit tragically, but that's life. And look at the world now, it's pretty fucked up. But um, there was some beautiful music that was left and it was it was a fucking amazing time. Absolutely. All right, so let's just wrap up that story for now. But next, yep. next episode, I want to ask you a bit more about um, how you met Elliot Smith and what unfolded with that um, partnership that you had, because I know that you were instrumental in a lot of ways in introducing his music to a lot of people that ended up um, helping him along the way too and helping getting his music out there. So maybe we can um, talk a little bit about that in the next one. That that sounds great. Okay. Well, we've, we've gone... <laughs> pretty long this time but we had a few weeks break in there so um forgive us for our um our sort of stalling to get it out but it it's been a lot of factors it hasn't been just we were too lazy or anything like that we've had a lot to sort of juggle around and and we wanted to tell it right we wanted to get the right timing and the right um feeling because as I can imagine Mary Lou it's very it's hard for anyone to go back over time and 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 talk about things that were very painful at the time and and even though you you say oh I'm old now it doesn't matter it it still is hard for anyone to go back and revisit painful times of life but also happy times of life too but Mm. just going back it's that sense memory it's like you were saying about um Kurt with the with the moisture with the hair product it's like the sense memory if you smell it now it just mm. takes you back it's definitely it's like that yeah. with songs and music I know for me it is anyway and for right. most people so it is one of yeah those I things. mean I'm just a yeah and I'm kind of just like a regular normal person and and to me like I'm not a, a celebrity right so this was a big deal thing that happened in my life um and i it's a story that it's absolutely true and i think wow you know i made it through that um yeah and all power didn't make all power to you and look as you said it's like the sliding doors moment of your life but 
your door slid pretty well in terms of where you came came out, you know, with um, having your family and, and having that time that, you know, you said, oh, I'm sorry about letting people down, but absolutely unorchestrated these things you just can't sometimes you life controls you you don't control life and you just got have to go with whatever you're dealt with and I think you know we've all been through those things and things turn out the way they're supposed to in the end for the majority mm-hmm. of time but we also yep. make things happen the way that it's supposed to in our interaction with people so you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I never meant to hurt anyone intentionally, you know what I mean? And mm. and I like to think at the end of the day um, that my karma is good, whatever. And then and then to, to wrap this up, you know, this topic about uh, on Courtney Love, I read uh, all the anger that I had back then, and I had a lot of it towards her, believe me, a lot of very quiet and and confused and just horrible horrible anger um back then right i sometimes read what people will leave like in a comment a comments about her and it's like wow she she is not a person that is very well liked and um you know it it just seems like not like oh i'm relieved because of that, but at least people know, like, um, like all along that, uh, you know what I mean? It's just I know. like, I, you know, I just want to say fuck you, and I'm, and I'm sure she doesn't care, so <laughs> she doesn't give one fuck uh, about what people say about her. But and so I guess that because no one's getting hurt, it is kind of nice, you know, to to read. Yeah, you are a fucking cunt. You are a fucking bitch. You know, like that. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to say it at the end because she she was she's fucking cunt. So that that's that wraps it about up. All right. Well, we do have a yeah. Language. If you're listening, Courtney, <laughs> we do have a language warning at the start, so that's okay. It does have yeah. explicit content, but look, you know, <laughs> that's the story from your. Yep. From your lips to our ears. <laughs> oh, man. If anyone has any questions, send them in to us. Let's. I know there were some theories going around that there was never going to be a part two, that, you know, there was some conspiracy going on, that we were just getting, you know, Courtney was putting a stop to it. None of that happened. We were just busy. So, no. you know, <laughs> this is what happens. You know, you, le- you leave things alone for a little while and things become something but you know as far as your stories go they're your stories no one can take them away or change them you've put the record out there you've put the record straight as to all those lies that were made up about you and I'm very happy that you were able to do that oh thank you Marianne that's okay Karma's a bitch. It is. <laughs> and if you want to hear our next episode, just subscribe <laughs> to all the things. You know where we are. Apple Apple Podcasts, all those things. And then you'll know. Yeah, if anyone's got any questions or uh, suggestions, please let us know. Yeah, we've got a Facebook page for anyone that doesn't know. It's called How the Hell Did That Happen? You can put questions there and we'll put some links up to some of the things we were talking about. 
Um, and that's oh, and we might uh, next week, right? We might have a couple guests on. Um, we're not exactly sure, but we might have some special guests. Yeah, it might um, be the week after next, but we're working on okay. it. Okay. We're working on it. Well, stay tuned. It. Okay. Yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks for all the su- supportive comments, and um, and we appreciate it, and we appreciate you listening to us. <laughs> yeah, thank you, everyone. Sorry that I, I don't tell a very linear story, but hopefully <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> some of it was entertaining. <laughs> that's what we love. Anyway, until next episode, um, I'll talk to you later. All right. See you later. Thank you.